Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. It's the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Welcome to a new year and the first of our shows for 2021. And I'm excited that joining me today is Lisa and Brandon Bolt, like the lightning, the owners of Primitive <laughs> Beer in Colorado. Uh, they gave me that line right before we started here. Uh, they bill themselves as Colorado's first exclusively spontaneous barrel fermented beer blendery. And in the state that's claimed its fair share of firsts, I found that to be a kind of a pretty big deal, especially after you've tasted their beer like I have. And you kind of wonder why we had to wait so long. So when they opened their doors in 2018, they made a splash on the local scene for their method traditional ales, as well as the packaging. Maybe you've seen their beer in a box. But even their bottled offerings are starting to pop up around the country and would certainly be coveted at bottle shares if those were still a thing. And one thing to look out for is a collaboration they recently did with Beer Culture. It's called Peach on a Beach. It's a blend of two and three year aged spontaneous beer matured on Colorado grown all-star peaches and Tahitian grown vanilla beans uh, and then put into two freshly emptied Buffalo Trace bourbon barrels. And here I am drinking an IPA like a sucker right now. So I want to get into all of that about what's going on with the brewery as well as talking about cool ship season. But first, uh, thanks to both of you for being here. And since we're a few days into the new year, I'm curious if there's any resolutions that you have for the brewery. Thanks for having us. Um, we're excited to launch our first three-year blends. Um, and we just hope that we can open our tap room at some point and really get people in the doors and talking about beer and learning about our process. But no, uh, no concrete resolutions. I'm not really a resolution person. <laughs> Yeah, I think the benchmarks, <laughs> the benchmarks for 2021 uh, are hopefully pretty easy to uh, to attain compared to 2020. Um, definitely uh, one of the the fun things about having a, a brewery that is focused on uh, this one single style of beer, um, particularly one that we hope uh, improves with age, uh, is the ability to blend older beer uh, into the mix and. Uh, to be able to release uh, a, a three, two, one kind of Odegoose inspired blend has always been one of our goals since uh, since dreaming up this uh, the project. So uh, for us, um, that's a that's a big part of I think what 2021 is about. And actually, we've spent the last month putting a lot of what we hope to release in 2021 actually into the bottles and tasting them and making sure that they're on the right path. I mean. Lisa, you mentioned opening up the the tap room again, but I, I imagine that the type of brewery or business that you have where you're not necessarily turning and burning IPAs or trying to get new stouts out the door uh, every every couple of days to to keep the lights on, there there had to have been a little bit of a bonus into making, you know, these spontaneous beers, but these, you know, that are designed to age over time. Yes. To, to sort of help you get through, you know, the, the, the I, I can't even say the worst of it because like, who the hell knows no. what's going to happen tomorrow. But, <laughs> right. you know, and this is just a continuation, you know, <laughs> just, you know, we were in so many ways, we were fortunate, but I'd say in terms of the beer, uh, we didn't have fresh IPAs in tanks. We didn't have finished lagering, you know, I, uh, uh, lagers that were ready to go everything that we make only gets in theory better with time yeah. and so there was no worry about when will this get out there when will this it was just like okay well our beer will just sit a little longer 
And so we we focused during 2020, um, you know, after the initial months of huge optimism, <laughs> we focused on production and packaging and, you know, exploring new fruits and a lot of bottling and boxing and just getting the best blends we could together without having to worry about getting them out the door quickly. Um, and then pivoting to more of a packaged and to go model as, far, as opposed to cask beer on, on tap like we had. I, I don't know if we're allowed to say pivoting anymore in the new year. Oh, the things that we had to leave behind. We're done with that. Yeah. Um, but was that, was that freeing in some ways of, of being able to do some of those experimentations or to, I don't know, ha have just a little bit more time to think about these beers that are so very much rooted in time. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have to rush anything, which was nice. Um, what do you think, Brandon? Yeah, uh, I, I hate to take um, I hate to take joy in anything that is twenty twenty related, or to um, kind of feel good about uh, about things in the midst of uh, of you know all the uh, the tragedy. But I will say, yeah. Um, there was a lot of freedom in that way um, in not, even though we were only open once a week on Saturdays previously, which is not a, you know, a huge commitment um, given that we are balancing that with other jobs, all of a sudden removing um, the requirements of a, of having an open tap room and even uh, some of the beer um, that goes towards what we would put on cask. There was a lot more time to, actually commit to experiments and to learning and to additional processes that we, you know, wanted to play around with, um, certainly hoped to play around with and engage in, especially as we got towards those three-year blends and actually did have the opportunity to, um, you know, to go ahead and, and, and work with, uh, collaborations that we'd always wanted to put together, um, it, beer culture, our friends amalgam, uh, soon seller West. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd say there was a lot that even from a, you know, we brew seasonally, uh, if all of a sudden everything started to shut down in March, the breweries that we produce our wort at for the cool ship season, um, all of a sudden there was a lot more opportunity to use that equipment, uh, produce more spontaneously inoculated wort uh, on our own schedule. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that the silver lining to this, uh, the entire pandemic for us is that because there is such a lag between our initial production and when we can release beers um, that, you know, when we finally can have people back in our tap room, we should have a, a pretty interesting, mature and diverse stock of beer to play around with. That's so cool. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Elisa. Well, one more thing was I was going to say, despite being open one day a week, we also for 2020, we had six travel beer fests, four weddings and like three or four local beer fest planned. That's the majority of weekends. That's the majority That's of weekends in the summer. <laughs> and so that was all time that we would have not been working, not been blending, not been packaging. And though we got a little, you know, stir crazy, uh, it enabled us to, <laughs> to really put some beer away. Um, that amount of travel and, and money that would have gone toward that would have really hindered uh, our production schedule. For, for a new brewery, though, and for a brewery your size, a lot of the time those festivals, especially some of the local ones, 
those can be a boon, right? To, to introduce yourself to people for the first time or to, you know, remind folks that you're around if they've, if they've forgotten. I mean, in a crowded state like Colorado. Yeah, no, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah, but totally. In a, in no, a no, crowded no. state like Colorado, it's, it's really difficult to, yeah. you know, keep track. Like I, you know, but we can do John Shikes, like, do I don't know how year. he does it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, guy. that's, but, but missing, missing some of those things. Is we'll that a ground game out. that you're going to have to we'll get up? <laughs> we'll yeah. get the word out this year and we'll have the beer to support it. Honestly, like we, you know, we would have, we wouldn't have had nearly this much beer in the pipeline. So we'll get the, we'll get the word out later. You know, <laughs> I, th- not- I, th- I think we've also tried to find other ways. Cause no, that, I mean, that's, that's a huge point. The, even if direct to consumer, uh, you know, sales has kept us afloat, during a lot of uh, during a lot of this pandemic, the only reason there were people in other states that even were interested in uh, taking the chance and having us ship some of our beer to them was uh, perhaps some of the beer fests that we'd attended on the East Coast, some of the invitationals that we went to that all of a sudden um, maybe gave us a little more street credit or a little bit uh, more of the opportunity to uh, get into people's uh, get onto people's radar. So. Um, I think during this time, Lisa's done a really great job of uh, sending care packages to some of her friends in the industry um, and, you know, trying to send love and goodwill out to people um, in different ways, despite not being able to do it in person. I think even her kind of uh, methodology towards packaging and the way that uh, beers are delivered to people um, I, I think there's something extremely personal about it. She writes handwritten notes and she puts uh, a lot of thought into it on that side, which I hope, um, you know, translates to the thought that we actually put into the beer within the package as well. Let's talk about packaging because your beer popped up on my radar maybe about a year and a half ago when uh, we were doing Steal This Beer, the other podcast. And I want to say that it was Evan Watson of Plan B uh, brought one of your uh, boxed beers. And in addition to really enjoying the hell out of it, uh, we were also sort of taken by the by the packaging, which is something that I had <laughs> not seen you know, for, for quite some time. There's a brewery out in Sacramento called Rubicon, which was trying to do beer in a box 15 years ago, maybe. And I hadn't really seen it since then. Um, And I know that's just one of your many packaging uh, offerings that are out there these days, but talk to me like why that makes sense for the beers that you're making. And I guess for for those who haven't seen this yet, if you can sort of how do you describe it to first timers, I guess? Sure. So it's a, a liter and a half bag with a, like a little faucet um, in a box uh, that has a little uh, cardboard uh, circle you can punch out. And then you pull the faucet through and then you take the little safety off and then you can pour beer out of the bag. So it's just like a Boda box, a black box of, you know, whatever those other brands are, uh, Francia, the classic. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. A lot smaller. <laughs> um, but it's there, beer. There are some so games it, in my career that, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Those. I had some yeah. good times with those. <laughs> um, it's, I describe it to customers that are uh, wary about it. I say it's, it's beer on tap in your fridge, but it's not carbonated. 
So you can you can sample, you won't, you know, basically it, it won't go bad. Uh, you're not letting any light in. There's no oxygen getting in. It's in its own sort of environment. Um, but the beer is a wild beer, so it changes and evolves through time. Um, and you can sample it with an ounce here, a full glass there, um, however you like to um, taste it. I mean, you can also take the bag out, slap it and drink it straight to your face, <laughs> which has also been fun at Beer Fest for us. Yeah. Um, but That's it's not uh, something that you would have been able to do in 2020. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Slap the bag, <laughs> pass it around. Yeah. 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 And some people put their mouth on it, which I don't condone. So That's a, yeah, yeah, there's always one wrong. kid in like high school that did yeah. that with the water fountain and ruined it for everybody yep. else. Yeah. <laughs> we all no longer. It. Yeah. Yeah. And we hope that kid is doing well nowadays, but, um, <laughs> you, you know, he's a yeah. super spreader. If, if that, <laughs> that is definitely the case. <laughs> he is most certainly a super spreader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what's the shelf life on that? Like once you, once you break that seal. So we say drink it within two years. Uh, never lasts anybody <laughs> that long. Uh, for fruited offerings, I say drink it within two months. Uh, unfruited, you know, take your time. But we have beers from our first couple releases kind of in our little bag and box library and they, they taste different, but they taste really good. Um, well, they're evolving and changing and they haven't spoiled. So, you know, it's all about how you want it to taste. If you like how it tastes now, drink it now. If you want to see how it changes, you can wait on it. Well, what what are the evolutions that you've seen in, in, in taste and aroma? Yeah. Uh, like a, is, is, is there, is yeah, there like one it. beer that you could pick that you could, that you could sort of like walk through on that? Um, I would say there's kind of the same um, similar uh, maturation profile of a lot of these beers as I would expect from um, as I would expect in the bottle as well. Um, you know, if a lot of our early culture flavors, when they're really young, before Britannomyces starts to take hold and, and uh, transform those beers, there's, a, there's more Saccharomyces forward flavors. There are more almost rustic saison qualities more than what I would attribute to, you know, full-fledged Lambic-like qualities. Um, yeah. So some of the beers that go in the bag that are slightly on the younger side, maybe closer to, uh, you know, the eight to 12 month mark, as opposed to the, you know, 16 to 18 mark month, uh, month mark, they showcase a little more of those younger qualities, a little more of that Saccharomyces forward, um, you know, uh, yeah, farmhousiness. Uh, as they stay in the bag, I think they do start to continue, they continue to convert, they become a little more, um, a little more Brett forward. Uh, some of those precursor products are, are hydrolyzed and kind of no longer as evident. Uh, I'd say the acidity stays relatively consistent um, and it doesn't attenuate too much more. There's only one or two um, one or two vintages that we've put into bag that we've seen kind of puff, <laughs> um, continue okay. fermentation a little bit, never to the point of explosion, which is great. Yeah, um, no, that's important. But, you know, yeah, because then you're just going to get wet cardboard and everybody's going to think it's all oxidized. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But isn't explosive packaging all the rage now? I mean, so would is. that put stop, us? Uh, stop, yeah. stop, stop. There's again yeah, with pivot, territory with pivot. All right. We're leaving that all on the side of the 450 North Highway. You know, it's it. exploding okay, so that, packages. That's and everything else. Yeah. 
That's past fair. us problems. Um, it's yeah, we're <laughs> we are not past those problems. They're just going to get worse. Um, <laughs> I but, I'd yeah. say the yeah the maturity goes more from fruitiness to funkiness. Ironically, if it's a uh, <laughs> a fruity bagged beer, it probably goes from uh, well, actually no yeah fruitiness to funkiness both ways. All right, I'm going to go with that. Final answer. Lock it in. <laughs> As you bring us back to 2004, look at this. We're just time traveling now at this point. It feels good. I'm, I'm, I'm curious though, as to, so now you're headed into year three. And so you have some of those early um, uh, versions of the beer in a box and you're starting to see firsthand how they've changed. Cause you have the benefit of having them in your home library as you taste some of those older ones that are being opened for the first time, are you starting to think about how you want your recipes to evolve so that they can continue to mature that way? Like now that you, Definitely. now that you have a chance to taste older beer uh, that's been preserved I, I, in this, in this, yeah. Without a doubt. Um, and I think those little tweaks and those little, um, you know, within the scope of method traditional, there actually is quite a bit of room. I mean, micro adjustments um, have a major influence over long amounts of time. And uh, as we've tasted our stock at the one year mark, the 18 month mark, the two year, et cetera, uh, whether packaged or not, that has definitely uh, stimulated a lot of micro adjustments and change. Um, in any given brew year, we do try and have um, a little bit of diversity in terms of the work that we're producing, have some on the, on the more bitter side and, uh, you know, hopefully mitigate kind of acid development and expect that to really uh, mature uh, most gracefully and then have some that we expect to use at the one or two year mark, maybe a little more lactic developed. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say quicker turnaround at that point, but intentionally for, uh, for use as younger stock. So, uh, there are absolutely um, constant changes going on, uh, even to <laughs> really esoteric parts of process, uh, like the turbine mash procedure and figuring out, ooh, do we really want our protein rest at 126 Fahrenheit or do we want to bump that up to 128? Uh, you know, there are, uh, and, and for how long before we start laudering? Um, no, uh, we are absolutely thinking about um, what those adjustments uh, influence as those beers develop and what it means in terms of having a, a functional blend. There's like 10 veins of conversation that you've just opened up and I'm trying to figure out which one to. <laughs> That's how he talks. This could be a long podcast. We've got nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I have to upload at midnight Eastern. So oh, okay. it's, right. uh, you know, it's... <laughs> there is a time. That sounds like a you problem. Yeah. It is. It's a, it's, <laughs> It's the story of my life is just <laughs> that's going to be the title of my autobiography. It's, be, uh, you know, it's a me problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Over and over and over again. But I, I'm, I'm when you first started thinking about this brewery, there, there's all these conversations that I have with, with, with folks who go pro where they say, Oh, it was a home brewer or, you know, I was working at another brewery and I decided that I wanted to, to, to sort of do my own thing. Where was the idea for Primitive born from? For you well, both. both of those things. We were homebrewers. We were uh, beer industry people. And we traveled a lot. Uh, we liked going to Belgium. We liked exploring the Lambic culture. And we wanted, it's, I'm sure it's a story that many people tell, we wanted a place that was all our own, where we could make all the decisions and, 
you know, brew whatever we want. <laughs> but all we want to do is lambic because it's all we all we want to <laughs> drink. And so we just did a deep dive. It it we really hadn't done too many um, test batches. We did a few at the brewery we used to work at, and they did not turn out. So we they learned a lot of shit. lessons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really just if we're going to do this one thing, let's only do this one thing. Let's get as good at it as we can be. We won't be distracted by any other beer styles. I mean, we, that's what our other jobs are for, um, you know, bring things that actually make money for other people. And uh, <laughs> we'll just get so into this that it's, you know, our whole life, which it, it in a lot of ways it became. But I, 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 I've heard other folks say similar things. You know, mm -hmm. where, okay, we want to do the beers that we want to make. Um, and then they start making seltzer smoothies where they start making, right. you know, West Coast IPAs or, or you know, whatever in there. Um, you're still, you're both still on the path. Yeah. The intended path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, I mean, we met in grad school for geology. Uh, so we definitely geek out on the academic side and never had any intentions of making money in life. Uh, that was, even uh, in geology, you, know, we yeah, you have to, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we weren't going into petroleum uh, with the with the fields that we were studying. Uh, we were, you know, destined to either be professors or, uh, you know, environmentalists, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, switching over to beer and, and finding finding a niche or finding something to, um, you know, pursue from a, you know, mostly academic, slightly uh, artistic uh viewpoint, I think it just made sense to us or continues to make sense to us. Um, I think there's, I mean, for me, there's also something really fulfilling about, you know, hopefully, I, I, hopefully we're adding something to the, um, to the collective beer scene. I think there are so many great brewers making, uh, you know, passionately making those smoothie seltzers and those West Coast IPAs and uh, the beers that actually pay the bills. I, I hope, um, you know, that we can showcase some other styles that deserve, you know, uh, deserve their own little, uh, yeah, little pursuit of uh, passion and happiness. Um, and that it, you know, that it's possible, even if stupid, even if it's a, you know, a, a, an endless toil. I, I understand the point that you guys are making. And I, I, I know you're, you're, joking about it a little bit, but like, you know, a lot of people don't get into brewing or journalism for that matter, uh, you know, to, to make a ton of money. Like you want to eat out a, a, a nice living and, and do right by your mm -hmm. family and, and, and that kind of thing. It's not, uh, you know, being you know, wealthy, you know, the richest of avarice, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I'm curious as to 2018, as I start to think about it more and more, was kind of a fun year in brewing and the overall industry was trying to still figure itself out. And there's the, the onslaught of the competition and et cetera, et cetera. But you could be a niche brewery in 2018 where, you know, we're just going to be known for this, you know, we're just going to make lagers. We're just going to make Roush beers. We're just going to make whatever. Could you do that if you open today? Do you think? Yeah, so the style. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily be the only one, um, which we which we were never trying to be. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think you have to find the niche that you're passionate about. Like we have a friend opening a Czech lager specific place. That's very Ooh. niche, and that's opening 2021. Yeah. So well, it's possible. You know, you have to be ambitious and you have to work hard. But yeah, I think I think there's still room for us uh, being specialized. I think a lot of the room for being specialized also lies in educational opportunities. Um, we there are still so many people out there that don't drink beer and so many people who do drink beer that don't necessarily know what they're drinking, know what they like or know what they, you know, what they want to drink next. I think being able to, um, you know, have the opportunity to educate and promote different styles and, and help people find the other things that they, they love that they had no idea that they loved. Um, there's a, there's still, you know, maybe we're overly optimistic and know nothing about business, but I think there's still a lot of uh, a lot of people <laughs> out there positive. that can be. Uh, you know, there's there's more than enough pie for all of us. Um, yeah, I, I I think especially in our perfect world, you know, twenty more uh, you know empty spawn blenderies open up around yeah. the Colorado, like the Front Range area, and we can get a brew house and we can supply people with inoculated wort, much like it worked. Yeah, in Belgium and cafe and, culture can yeah. exist and like yeah um we 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 by no means we don't feel uh we don't feel ownership of the concept that we uh that we fostered and we certainly like to share anything that we know uh packaging or otherwise uh, techniques that have worked because uh, i think um uh, we're at heart we're beer drinkers before beer producers and the <laughs> the more good beer that's out there that we can uh you know trade for or swap for or you know find uh, ways to enjoy uh even better i probably get an email a month asking me like tell me more about bag i'm a brewer tell me more about bag and box like i'm so excited about it. i want to do it does it work for you what do you do why do you do it and i answer all of them i'm i'm psyched i want more people to do it and then i selfishly get to drink more bag and box beer as well and their customers are excited about bag and box they find us we find their customers it's all you know it's mutually beneficial to everyone so i'm excited about it can, can that work for most styles do you think or does it really Anything sort of hit flat. <laughs> Oh, I thought you meant for bag and box. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, it works best for still beer because then you don't have to worry about carbonation. Yeah. Um, Ode Beersol in Belgium, who was one of our initial inspirations for bag and box beer, they've developed essentially like a Kevlar bag that can hold, I think, up to three PSI. Was it, Brandon? Three? Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Garrett is so really. That's, that's really actually. Yeah. That. That's, yeah. So we want that too. That would be really cool. But in the meantime, um, I did give some advice to a brewery that wanted to do cask beer in a bag. Uh, they wanted it to be lightly carved. And so we were basically saying, maybe size up the bag to give you room for that you know, the gas. And yeah. I think it worked for them. People were talking about it working. So there's, you know, you have to be willing to experiment and fail, but I think you could probably get pretty creative and do a lot of styles. And I would love to see more, uh, which we're working on more beer wine hybrids um, in bag and box. Cause those are delicious still. They don't need to be carbonated necessarily. I'd love to see uh, when Denver lost Liberati uh, mm-hmm. in the early part of 2020 and that was a that was a, a big loss for the for the wine yeah. beers that were uh the onio beers right it's mm-hmm. uh yeah a, 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 a huge loss yeah 
Yeah. And that, and that was a niche that, that, yeah, it was super upsetting to, to lose because it had the opportunity of bringing in, uh, again, a whole nother group of drinkers, wine drinkers who are now interested in beer. And on the other way, we love wine. So getting beer drinkers more interested about the other components of fermentation as well. I mean, that was a yeah huge educational opportunity and they were making just really good beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, and, and things that just, as you started to peel back the layers, it was a lot of fun to, a lot of fun to explore. I, I, I'm curious. So you're in Longmont, Colorado, and your, your your brewery's open. You know, you were saying like one day a week. Um, people coming in, they're drinking Cascale. Uh, they're 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 getting beer to go. I mean, Longmont has no shortage of fun breweries uh, left hand kind of comes to mind and uh, i know ryan Wibby's doing his thing there and there's there's a there's a few other uh, breweries in the in the general uh, general area uh, bootstrap oscar um, blues bootstrap yeah, sure oh yeah absolutely. oscar blues yeah we've heard of them um <laughs> the little guys yeah but where where did you all in normal times fit into a beer drinker's day I think we were the exploratory place, the place where you go or one, maybe one person in your group has read about us, has heard of us, has had a Lambic before, um, and they drag their friends over. And if their (laughs) friends like sour beer, we're okay. (laughs) Or our wine drinkers. We appeal a lot to wine drinkers sometimes. What, you there? Yep, I lost her. Okay. (laughs) Lisa? I can go downstairs and check. I know you just have to go. Uh, yeah. I, I should point out that, that you guys are in the same house, but in different rooms. Oh, sorry. Oh, Lisa? Did you lose me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah we, I kept talking you. the whole time. <laughs> yeah. We, we were talking about how we're very estranged as a couple. Um, oh, yes. Through the pandemic, we just don't even it's, stay in the same room anymore. Separate it's, floors. It's, it's, yeah. Social distancing yeah. in your own home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to get what he has. How know? how twenty twenty one no. of you? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but no, but, um, but so so you. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I heard is if people are into sour beers, then they're going to enjoy sour beers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sour beers, wine drinkers. Um, we appeal to wine drinkers sometimes, and it's sort of the place to go where. Um, I mean, we had guest beers, but for what we brew we didn't have the something for everyone kind of method. We had this strange style that we wanted to tell you about and explain to you and give you the history of and hope that you like it. Um, It's not aggressively acidic. It's not so oaky, your mouth dries out. It's refreshing in multiple ways, but hopefully, you know, through the flavors, of course, but also through the history and the story, you find a new beer that you really like. When you, when it would come to on a Saturday though, what I was trying to kind of figure out was people who are brewery hopping, um, they're Mm -hmm. visiting Colorado or they're just, you know, Hey, we're going to spend the day kind of bouncing around. Was there like a, a, a place in the day that you would see beer travelers come like, okay, we've hit the lager place to start off. We've gone to the uh-huh. IPA place. We're going here, but now we're going there. It w- could, could, could you sort of figure out like where in the day you were for, for various right. drinkers first <laughs> yeah. stop, last stop somewhere in the middle. 
we were either like destination one because they'd read about us and they had to come come to us or they did like the wild beer tour of like black project us purpose in fort collins sort of the swoop across the front range ah, which i thought was pretty cool you see the day before or casey the day after like yeah they're definitely mm -hmm. and we were often often sometimes on a trajectory with like weldworks and wiley route if they were coming from denver we might be an excuse on there you know to to stop on the way up to Greeley um and then fort collins um okay yeah longmont's kind of just uh oddly you know it's front range but it's it's between uh you know a couple to a few major cities yeah and, and then we'd also you know, it was, it's hard to, when, when we're open, unless we recognize the person, it, I think there was a lot of fun um, in, in trying to remove our implicit bias because you could not judge when someone came in based off the, of the way, you know, they were dressed or they looked or anything else, whether they were going to love our beer or whether they had any idea of what Lambic was. I mean, sometimes someone would come in and I think Lisa and I would look, look at each other and be like, all right, this is going to be, you know, get ready to be rejected, get ready to be shot down. We know this person is going to absolutely hate what we're, <laughs> what we're giving them. There's not going to be anything for them, but you know, we're prepared to give you a, a 10 minute spiel and a tour and, you know, get excited with you and still, you know, be okay with you saying, nah, not for me. And all of a sudden they'd be like, oh yeah, I was in Cantillon a month ago. Um, I know exactly what you guys are doing and, <laughs> and then just be like, oh, fuck. Yeah, this is easy. This is great. I love this. You said it, I think, uh, twice. I was waiting for the third time so I could do the full Beetlejuice, but uh, method tradition, <laughs> uh, method traditionally. Um, <laughs> and then you started saying lambic on me. Uh, so I, I don't really quite I can know say where lambic when it's for, yeah, I can say lambic if it's about other people, specifically like the Belgians who are producing it. I can't say, uh, you know, lambic about ourselves. We're allowed to um, use the word lambic. We just oh, yeah. can't talk about oh, our yeah, own yeah, yeah. It's in the lexicon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you do use MT. You use uh, method traditional yes. uh, to describe the beers that you're making. And I feel like for the better part of the last seven, eight years, uh, this has been coming up in various conversations and brewers have been trying to get it kickstarted. Um, and then there's a, a rise to it and then a fall. And, you know, you start to talk to, to, to some brewers who were early adopters of it and they just kind of shrug it off now. Um, you're still a relatively new brewery. You're using that term. Why is that important to you? And, and, and why should it be important to us, the drinkers? I think it showcases um, a level of uh, commitment to process uh, that sort of lets you know the, not quality, but like care that went into the beer. Um, it's, it's hard as a brewery that follows all these rules to not have a shorter, more simple, more world, worldwide accepted term like Lambic um, because that word means something and method traditional is still, I think it's a, it's a young term. And it also um, is the same term for certain wines and cheeses and uh, things made in other sort of departments. Um, but it, to us, it's something that we're willing to work on more and fight for uh, because it does highlight everything that goes into the beer uh, process wise. Yeah. Yeah, and I should say, I think I, I know we've we've got a lot of friends in the spontaneous community who um, even posted 
you know, about why they, when, when, you know, years ago when this was kind of uh, <laughs> at, the, at the, you know, forefront of uh, yeah. beer news and that type of thing, uh, you know, posted why they thought MT was uh, a mistake, was stupid, was um, <laughs> a kind of a limitation on creativity. And I can understand and appreciate and respect all of those brewers and their, uh, honestly, their reasons for thinking that. For us, uh, being technique driven, something that we care more about is following that process rather than tasting like Lambic. For example, there are other amazing breweries, um, Beachwood Blendery comes to mind, where their goal is to produce something that tastes like Lambic, um, you know, whether or not it's following any set of rules, uh, the ends justify the means kind of in that way. For us, uh, we are technique driven, not flavor driven. We want to uh, go through the rituals, uh, practice this process that has uh, occurred for at least the, the last hundred years, arguably, you know, few hundred years, and showcase whatever flavors emerge, blending and adjusting parameters uh, to our liking, but not necessarily ever aiming to taste exactly like anyone else's Lambic or uh, tasting like any other product, You're making our own, uh, you know, showcasing our own terroir through that process. So for us, it's not that, you know, the beer is going to be any higher quality or uh, any better than a beer, a spontaneous beer, or even mixed culture beer that is not produced using method traditional, but it means something to us and it, it celebrates a, uh, a part of history that we get excited about. I think as atheist Jews, there is something uh, exciting about uh, celebrating culture. Well, What's interesting to me, though, is as you were saying that, and Lisa, as you were talking about following rules, when I think back to the, I don't know, the, the, the late 1990s and the brewers that were making a splash at the time and you know, the Greg Cook or the, the Sam Calagione or, you know, the, the other folks who were railing against the Reinheid Skabot sort of, you know, calling it a purity <laughs> law saying, you know, we're not going to do that. And, you know, we're the anti right You know, it. it <laughs> there was this counterculture that was built by, you know, the, the, those second generation brewers uh, here in the U.S. of let's buck tradition. And and then, of course, you know, you saw people making goose and lambic and they're throwing, you know, kiwis into it or lactose or, you know, God knows what. And, you know, <laughs> sort of saying, you know, like, ha fuck the Belgians. Like, we're going right. to, you know, we're going to take their chocolate and throw it into a good, you know, like that kind of thing. And. <laughs> Like it, I, 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 I like the fact that to, to hear you sort of talk about rules and to talk about disciplines because yeah. it, it, as much as styles don't exist anymore, I almost wish that they did a little bit uh, just so that there were guidelines for folks to, 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 to follow and guidelines for, for folks to understand beer. I had Kim Sturdivant on the show um, last year and, you know, he's credited with creating the brood IPA and those who listened in, you know, might remember, you know, I, we were talking about how that style never had a chance to really take off because as soon as he put it out there into the world, people started fucking around with it and <laughs> everybody fucked around with it in their own way. And nobody could, you know, it was like putting jello to the wall. You, know, you couldn't, it, it, nothing stuck. So I, I, I love that approach of following the rules. And I, I, I guess the natural follow-up question is, 
should more people be doing this? Um, I wouldn't say that more people necessarily. I just, I don't know. I think we really like it. Brandon has described it before on, on a tour. And I always really like the analogy of um, people, people ask us, you know, is it limiting to brew essentially one style of beer? And he always says, no, it's basically we're following the recipe to make the paint uh, in this really, you know, specific method. And then what we do with the paint, the blending, the fruiting, that's the, the painting, that's the, that's the canvas. So it's not limiting. It's, um, I don't know, it's, it opens up different options for us. As far as other people doing it, I mean, I'd be, I'd be excited about it, but I'm not going to make anyone <laughs> follow sets of rules. <laughs> that's for them to decide. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you guys could get badges made with MT on it and some sort of cool <laughs> font and just start kicking down you know, cold box doors yeah. and being, you know, so What's in Interpol. That keg? yeah, it's some sort of Interpol that you guys have created. I love it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Lisa, is this the place to expose ourselves on the, uh, the Lambic police? Oh, go for it. Special it's not active enough yeah. to be a big reveal. Yeah. We have a, uh, an Instagram account that's probably only got about 30 followers and only four is posts that? that is the Lambic police. And I need to oh, shit, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to yeah. make a joke. You guys are now <laughs> scrambling to try to make this a reality. Uh, this, is, this is you trying to no, make this happen. No, we did this happen. two years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a, we were going on. Joke. Yeah. Yeah, we, but we'd go on people's accounts who brewed quote unquote Lambics here in the U.S. and their pitch culture or they were not it not in any way lambics then we would we would call sour out. with fruit yeah like and it's lambic <laughs> but we would call it out in a funny way i think Maybe All right. so so if this is you guys it's six posts and 81 followers oh okay We're uh, at right. this Damn. point uh i'm yeah, sorry under, 82 yeah, followers because i just i just joined <laughs> it, um, and i'm gonna <laughs> demand that uh uh, you guys start updating this as well. And you look yeah, you yeah. the little badge of somebody holding a foamy mug of lager, which yeah, makes well, you know, no yeah. sense. We're not consistent, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> and we are, yeah, I mean, I, I guess- The Lambic police us, on Instagram to... and their profile says, pulling you over <laughs> for a Lambic violation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. if there's one thing we want to do, it's make an ironically like- uh, esoteric, uh, really rigid style of beer, but not be pretentious as we do it. Like it, it's, I think it's a hard and fun line to, I mean, we, we love when people make beer and follow their passion. It doesn't have to be our passion. They can do it in different ways. We're not going to try and like, yeah, we would never be the ones to say, this is the right way to make beer. This is the wrong way to make beer, but we know, uh, and you're a wordsmith, words mean something. And I think, oh, uh, you know, while I, while you don't need to brew to style, there is an importance to, um, to having definitions. Um, even if that is so you can define why your beer is not within style, why you're working, you know, I, I think the style space is a very much like an X, Y, Z, um, you know, cross section where you can, you know, if you adjust the color or the gravity or the yeast strain or any one of these other things, you know, it, there are very well, uh, you know, quantifiable regions of that space that fit historic styles. And it doesn't mean you need to fit within those regions, but at least it helps you 
um, to figure out potentially what your inspiration is or why you're trying to move from one style space to another or uh, inspiration of one area to another or how to hybridize styles, I guess. Um, and if your mind doesn't work that way, that's cool too. I mean, that's, that's why I believe styles are uh, of importance. <laughs> no, I'm... <laughs> I, I I love hearing that. Um, I have the SVU theme playing in my in the back of my head, right now, so that's that, that's why I was Very I was nice. chuckling. It's you know in a lambic world, there's two types of yeah. people. Um, <laughs> let's talk about fruit for 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 a minute. I'm mindful of your of, of your time, but uh, don't be. Well, <laughs> again, it's it's. I know, I know, I know. Time. This is this is yeah. This is a me problem uh, at, at this point. But I'm curious as to where you're trying to or 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 where you draw inspiration from fruits because i i read a piece uh that was written about you shortly after you opened where you were almost talking about the brewery as a csa and getting fresh produce coming in uh seasonal produce um working with farms working with the seasons i guess on your side in, in your size that that can be difficult um, but also sort of fun as well because you don't need a ton, you know, to 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 make the beers that that that, that you want to make. But wh- where do you start when you start thinking about fruits and when you start thinking about adding outside ingredients? You've made the paint. Now you want yeah. to you know start adding some color. Where where do you start? I think there's probably two um, two answers to that question. Um, and Lisa, please let me know if you think there's anything additional that I'm missing. Uh, one is really what's available. Um, there are, you know, we are committed to uh, supporting our local farmers, supporting uh, only Colorado growers. Right now, it's an arbitrary, uh, you know, boundary, a, a big square of a state that we've selected to to support. And if we ever open up something in another state, we want to support the uh, the growers and farmers from that state. But um, yeah, we are very much uh, sharing in the uncertainty of the of of that kind of agricultural mindset. So, for example, this year had an extremely late frost, and we wound up not getting any stone fruit as a result. Um, you know, the past three years that we've been um, adding fruit to beer, and you can now do the math on that, knowing that we quote unquote yeah. opened in 2018. Um, I'm not. I'm not. But, I'm uh, not the feds, man. I'm not here to narc on you. No. <laughs> You're not the living police. Or the other police. Yeah. The real police. Yeah. Or like the real police. Yeah. Alcohol police. Yeah. Well, whose jurisdiction is it? The Lambic police or the real police? I I think it's a, uh, you know, we're going to have to figure that out one day there. When the TTB um, kicks down your door and the federal (laughs) agents show up, I don't recognize your authority. Your badge doesn't have a guy (laughs) holding a foamy mug of lager on it. So you can't be real. Yeah, uh-uh. yeah. Which, as we all know, is the traditional uh, sign of the ben- uh, Belgian embassy. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, right, just start, yeah, just start screaming sanctuary, and I think you're covered. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how the and I plead the fifth. I've learned that one. Sure. That's yeah, the, I think know, that works of, as well. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Um, but like, yeah, this past season, uh, no cherries, plums, apricots, peaches, any of the fruits that we'd really uh grown accustomed to pun kind of intended there yeah um so we 
again, it was 2020, so I can say pivot again. We, we can't pivot in 2021, but um, in 2020, we wound up then going super heavily into wine grapes and apples. And, you know, while we still have a number of different uh, stone fruit beers from last year that were, will, that were just packaged and will, uh, you know, be available soon, uh, it'll be another year or so before people realize, oh, wait, where'd all the, <laughs> the stone fruit beers go? Uh, now we had to learn and adapt and um, get a new set of skills. So, um, you know, one answer to that question is very much what is available and um, sharing in the uh, the victories and the losses that our farmers feel and making sure that we are still there to support them uh, through thick and thin. Uh, the other side, I think of the question you were asking is um, more related to, and correct me if I'm wrong, more related to um, the beer and how do you know what fruit to add to what beer. Yeah. Um, and as, uh, you know, maybe cliche as this sounds, I, we try and let the beer speak to us. There are some beers that are just unbelievably beautiful and characteristic as a single barrel and we don't even want to blend them that's more rare uh, there are other beers that blend together and we say this has you know the right amount of acidity and funk and balance it would be a real shame to uh you know to referment fruit on this and 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 lose some of this balance typically when we are looking at beer for fruit refermentation it is definitely some of our lower acid stock um, that is um, exciting on its own but not necessarily um, doesn't speak for itself. Something that we think can actually be a canvas to hold fruit um, and not feel like we are eclipsing its natural character or vice versa, uh, potentially not doing justice uh, to showcase um, you know, the fruits that we are uh, looking to referment. Um, you know, and our methods of refermentation and um, whether we're doing that in stainless or oak, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of that has to do with um, a lot of it is desired acid level and making sure that we're not allowing that to creep up and not allowing that to get to a point where we don't find it enjoyable, uh, which is um, we like things with restraint. So that's a long-winded answer. Lisa, do you think I, is yeah, there, you know, how do you feel about fruit? Yeah, well, it's, it's really cool to be able to support Colorado agriculture. Um, there's, we get our malt from Eastern Colorado. It's malted in Fort Collins. Um, all our fruit and hops come from the Roaring Fork Valley in um, the mountains up west of us, like four hours away. Um, so we keep, you know, that's that's where the CSA idea came from. Like, you know, you, people buy our beer, they support us, but we support farmers. So we're keeping the money within Colorado, within the agricultural community. And, you know, they can count on us to buy grain every year and fruit every year and hops every year. Um, so in that way, it, it is a CSA. Um, it's, you know, you're buying beer, but it's, you're directly supporting um, agriculture. Yeah. It's, I think it's also important to say that um, we love and respect and need uh, the farmers around us, because with the exception of Lisa, who has a green thumb, uh, there's no chance that we could be growing uh, <laughs> really any of the things appropriately to uh, brew ourselves. We're excited uh, to learn and deep dive um, the process of taking these ingredients and also working with our farmers and maltsters um, to, uh, to gather what we need. Um, but it, I don't think either of us has, I think we'd love to live on a farm and have a farm brewery, but we would still uh, rely on um, the expertise and the friendship of those around us. Yeah. Yep. When it comes to bottle conditioning, secondary fermentation, you're using honey as well, 
we and are. I, yes, I, I've I've seen a few breweries do this, uh, and it seems to sort of be growing in popularity these days. Um, what's the appeal for doing that? Um, what yes, does that add so, to the beer? Yeah, so it's another Colorado product that's in Berthoud, which is just north of us, twenty miles north or so. Um, so another agriculture supporter. Um, we found that in our beer, we, we use it in our two-year blends and a lot of our fruited beers, even our fruited three-year. Um, it adds, well, so one of the things we do is we don't, you know, boil it or anything. We don't get it above a temperature where it kills off the natural microbes in there. So it adds more things that can ferment, more, you know, there's more life, more activity. Plus um, we use this alfalfa honey, that wildflower honey that is, delicious on its own and so it adds like a really subtle layer of flavor um a flavor that we've also found just in our beer on its own there's this honey character to a lot of our blends um, that we're really excited about so sort of amplifying that a little with a with a local ingredient yeah um we would certainly consider other sources of sugar beyond honey but yeah, uh, you know, in Colorado, there used to be sugar beets that may have been turned into, you know, granulated sugar, that kind of thing, but that industry no longer exists. Um, we have now for the three-year unfruited blends moved on to using, um, for the most part, yeah, young spontaneous beer, because that was always sure. um, a, a really traditional and B for whatever reason. Uh, to my knowledge, there haven't been uh, any, or at the very least, many American producers who have gotten that process to work adequately. So, um, ever the uh, the people who want to, you know, eventually fail, we figured, uh, you know, let's put all of our eggs in one basket and uh, and you know, uh, start playing around with young spawn. Um, so, you know, I, I think when at this point, um, and ironically now people like uh, Dre Fontaine and, and a bunch of contemporary uh, Lambic blenders and, and Goose blenders uh, are using their local honey yeah. as, a, uh, as a priming sugar. So that's really cool to now see, um, you know, that was something that we were doing and uh, we'll continue to do for some of our blends. It's, uh, it's now a lot of fun to actually get to try um, you know, the Dreyfontein and Honeg versus their just Eau de Goose and see what honey actually contributes to a pretty uh, well-understood uh, terroir for Goose and understand if that's something that we want to continue doing for ourselves um, or experiment in different ways. But yeah, I think anything that is fruited, we will probably continue to use the honey because that still allows that fruit to take the center stage. Um, there's less dilution by additional unfruited beer in that way. Whereas uh, a lot of our unfruited blends, especially at that three-year mark, having those microbes take the center stage, having just the terroir of the beer and the uh, the raw wheat and the you know the malted barley, um, you know, having more of that young stock which uh, shapes and evolves that beer, uh, definitely is something that we're interested in. Can you tell me about this collaboration you did with Beer Culture? Yeah. Um, so for those of you, uh, you know, I'm talking now to the audience, I guess. Oh, sure. <laughs> Not, yeah. Uh, yeah. Look at you uh, breaking down the walls of, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying, you know, I'm just trying to learn from the best here. Um, <laughs> yeah, for the, <laughs> For, for those not uh, familiar with beer culture, do like a Zach Mars thing and just time out. Yeah. And just turn to the camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, that's, that's very topical with the, uh, yeah. With the new saved by the bell, uh, reboot. So, uh, yeah, we'll do the time. Weird, man. Yeah. Dude, every, everything is going full circle. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for the uh, small lumber reboot, but yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Ooh. Like AI is like a real thing now. And I feel like Vicky would I, just murder the family or something. Anyway. Have you thought about putting the screenplay out there? <laughs> you know, just open up on a McMansion in suburban Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You can write a book and a screenplay at the same time, right? Sure. Yeah. It's, <laughs> And do a podcast <laughs> and like five other podcasts sure. and some other stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, um, you're not. No, but father. let's talk. No, seriously, the, the, the very important beer culture collaboration that you guys did. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, beer culture is this incredible organization um, that really strives to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in our industry. There's been a lot of talk for a long time about how inclusive uh, our industry is, but uh, unfortunately, that's a lot of talk. And as you know, we come to, <laughs> as many people have known for centuries, but as many of us privileged people come to learn about the systems of oppression and structural racism, et cetera, um, there's a lot that we have to be doing constantly that we've just been failing at. Um, anyway, the whole idea of beer culture is uh, as a uh, 501c3 is to uh, form collaborations and raise awareness about this, uh, you know, about a lot of these issues and how we can improve this industry. So we specifically have a theoretically infinite series of collaborations with them, but have uh, two beers in the pipeline, one that we just released, um, and all of the proceeds from those uh, from those beers goes towards um, scholarships that help, uh, you know, uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, uh, access to our industry in ways that unfortunately have, uh, you know, been prevented in the past. Love it. Um, I'm looking forward to trying it. And, and as small as you are and with the limited hours, um, you're actually shipping beer. And Lisa, I know this is something, you know, a little bit, yes. something about. Yes. Yeah. So, um, in addition to working with. Oh man, just when you were about to. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> just just when you were about to plug the day job, just when you were about to tell I, people where they could get their beer, your internet crapped out on you. Yeah. Are you back? Hi. Hi. I don't hear okay, oh, you. Can you hear me? Yeah. I could tell that uh, your little lights were going on and off and I was still talking. So <laughs> the internet's been tricky for me down here. Um, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. <laughs> okay. By the way, uh, I, was... I, th- I think it's pretty rude that Brandon had you go down into the basement with the with the poor Wi-Fi oh, connection. Sounds like. Well, it's really cozy down here, so I chose it. But I, if I'd known about the Wi-Fi, I would have chosen upstairs. <laughs> All right. So, but people no, can I like, get your I beer. like the narrative yeah. better this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like it when you're like, go to the basement. <laughs> yeah. Um, if only people so, knew. This is this yeah. is this this is going to be a new podcast that I launch where it's just a, a brewery marriage counseling. And oh, I yeah, love I, it. Yeah. <laughs> Help some, us. Some pun on couples therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not at all qualified, which makes the show a lot of fun to listen to. I want like a really yeah. punny name about like pints and pints. And, I do I too. Oh, I, I also want there funny. to be a lot of drama. Uh, yes. John Tess and Brian Yeager, if uh, either of you are listening, this is now your new challenge. To, uh, who can come up with the funniest, <laughs> funniest name first? Oh, I um, want this. All right. Yeah. But let's talk about where, how, how people can get your beer these days and you know why people yes. can get your beer these days. Yes. So 
locally, we use um, Culture Bev. Uh, they're a boutique distributor here yeah. in Colorado, um, and they take anywhere from five to 25 of cases, whatever we have available for them, and give them to uh, accounts around the state, which is really cool. Um, it's really awesome that people can get our beer uh, around and they don't have to come to our tap room. Um, we also do um, Saturdays to go in our tap room currently. Hopefully that will change into more days, but that's where we're at right now. And then I have an online store on our website um, through Bev, which is my day job. And uh, I send out packages uh, on Mondays. If anyone orders throughout the week, I just put together orders in my free time and then I ship out orders on Mondays. Uh, you can get any of our bottles, any of our bag and box and a little bit of merch as well. Cool. The, the nature of shipping beer was one of those things that has really sort of taken off during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was available beforehand. Um, it's making the beer world a little bit smaller and making um, some of the, you know, the underground finds, are they having to travel for beer or getting mules or grandma in line or, or, yeah. or whatever? Um, not as necessary. I mean, I, it still is for certain releases and everything, but, but for a brewery like you guys and have, have there been, are there downsides or is it all just upswing? For us, it's all positives. Um, it's people don't realize that alcohol laws are state by state, um, which makes inter, intra intrastate interstate shipping In, really difficult. Interstate, yeah, yeah. Interstate, um, really difficult because certain states allow reciprocity and some don't. Um, but the states that do allow it and some that have relaxed during during COVID, um, so to allow a little more just, you know, the economy to flourish. Um, for us, it's been all positives. If we get an article written about, you know, this new thing we're doing, or people are like, oh, what is Bag and Box? They can buy it and I can ship it to their house in, in many states. So it's really, it's been all positives for us. There hasn't really been a downside. We, yeah, we, I think it's important to say that we, from the get-go, we're like, we're going to try our best not to lean into hype and try not to like, go with a business model that is about, you know, purposefully limiting supply so that the demand goes up and all of that and, you know, generate lines and that kind of thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would have really uh, stroked our ego or stoked our ego if that was uh, the case. But um, yeah, I, I think for us, this was not a, not a hard decision whatsoever to be like, oh yeah. I mean, if this is an easy way to get our beer to other places where people actually enjoy what we're making, um, that's, that's a no brainer. Um, yeah. So I think we just, yeah, we actually leaned in Lisa. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's just was, saying we yeah. can't rely on just our backyard to buy enough spontaneous beer to keep us afloat. You know, we're doing yeah. a super niche thing, but if there's people out there that read about us and they're excited and they want to buy our, our beer, I want to get it to them. I want them to have a good experience. So that's been really, uh, really great for us. Love it. Well, Sergeant Lisa Bolt and Lieutenant Brandon Bolt of the Lambic Police <laughs> and also of Primitive Beer in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, thanks for being here. This was uh, this was a lot of fun having you on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this uh, was great. Uh, thanks for yeah. this therapy So we had nothing session. else to – yeah, we needed this. Uh, we've been <laughs> home alone together for, for way too long. So to have a, a third now? involved, yeah. <laughs> Very helpful. Mediator. Yeah.
Well, all right. Before we go, uh, I just want to remind everybody to make sure to head over to Facebook to join the This Week in Roush Beer group because there's always something smoky going on. And if beer audio is your thing, make sure you listen to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch for deep dive conversations with interesting brewery owners and more. And also head over to beeredge.com for articles and to sign up for the newsletter. Every Monday, look for new episodes of Steal This Beer and once a month, download the BYO Nano podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe to this show and to leave a review view and you can always reach me on email at john hall it's j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l at peeridge.com or on twitter at john underscore hall you know the deal nature whoever does the music jeff quinn designed our logo and i'm john hall new episodes of this show release every wednesday and that's when i'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer